Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. I haven't seen y'all for like three weeks because we had um, some horrific power outage. Like our power went out because someone cut through the cables in a field where Alexander Hamilton used to have his Revolutionary War headquarters. If you have to have a really bad power outage, that's a really good way to have it, I would think. Alexander, the ghost of Alexander Hamilton cut our power lines and we couldn't meet with you. And then last week, something else happened. I can't remember. If you're listening to this in the future, it's all moot. I was really sick, though that wouldn't have stopped me because I'm still really sick. Ha ha ha. Here I am. Um, not only am I sick, but uh, a thing happened. And I'm going to tell you about it. And that is that I was taking Benadryl for cold symptoms. I don't think I have COVID, but it's bad. It's a bad cold. When I think how bad a bad cold feels, I think of you guys who have COVID. My daughter and her partner have it. it right now, it's, it's inconceivable to me how much y'all have suffered, and I'm sorry to hear it. Anyway, <coughs> our two-year-old, Lila, came into my room yesterday. We were playing around. And she spilled this body, bottle of Benadryl. And I was worried that she would eat them because they're bright pink and coated with sugary something. So I was like, oh, no, you've got to put them away. We've got to put them away. So we did. And there was a glass like this one by my bed. Mm-hmm. Only it was empty. And just before I fell asleep last night, I realized that Lila had put two Benadryl in the glass. She was so good. She didn't eat them. She put them in the glass. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to just tip those back into the bottle and fill up my water. But I forgot. Then this morning I woke up and I was like, I don't feel good. So I did a strategy. And my strategy is this. I have little cups of cold brew coffee concentrate that live in my bedside drawer. And I can just pour them into my water glass and like knock it back. And then I lie down. And 10 minutes later, I'm like, I don't feel that bad. I feel great. I feel good. I want to do things. And I pop out of bed. So today, I was like, <coughs> coffee. <coughs> uh, wait for it to... Uh, uh. And I noticed that it was super duper bitter. And I looked at the bottom of the cup and there was just the residue of these two tablets. And I was like... <gasps> and I ran down. It, that woke me up. I ran down and said to to the rest of the family, I may be out cold in 20 minutes. I just want you to know I love you. I don't think I'll die from two Benadryl, but anyway, um, I drank a whole bunch of other coffee, which really, really helped. And then I found it was decaf. So the whole thing was a placebo. And my point is, the reason I'm here is that it's a bounce back day for me, right? Like I've had this awful cold. It was going away. It went out through my head and it's going down into my lungs and I have to go get checked for pneumonia. But I have bounced back so damn many times. There's this, there's this line in a, a song by Ray LaMontagne, who is a really kind of dark but cool indie singer. And part of a lyric from one of his songs goes, I looked my demons in the eye, lay bare my chest, said, do your best to destroy me. You see, I've been to hell and back so many times. I must admit, you kind of bore me. So... That's kind of, that's the level I have gotten to. I'm like, okay, all right, this is happening. Oh, yes. And then you bounce. Then you bounce. You hit bottom and you bounce. People talk about it like it's a one-time thing. Yeah, I finally hit my bottom and bounced back into AEA. I'm great. This is awesome. 
for those of you who can bounce once and have it done with. Not me. My whole life is bouncing. Just the word bounce kind of implies that it's going to happen more than once, right? Like if you throw a rubber ball and it bounces, it doesn't just lie flat on the next bounce. It bounces a lot. So I realized lying there, having drunk a dose of cold medicine mixed with coffee and waiting to see how it would affect me. It's all about relaxing into the fact that life is always bouncing back. You're always hitting bottom and you're always bouncing back because that is the nature of being human. And I thought, how does this happen? And of course, you'll never guess. You won't believe this. I came up with an acronym. Oh, yes. <laughs> Excuse me. Something I do hmm, hourly. Um, my acronym for how to bounce back is SILO. And I'm going to throw it out there to y'all because here's the deal. I know you're bouncing back from something right now. If you're not bouncing back from the pandemic or having been sick yourself, you're bouncing back from a heartbreak or a loss or uh, the rise in the cost of living. Or I mean, we're all trying to deal with stuff and we're all hitting bottom in one area or another often. <clears throat> and they're right about the bottom being a good place to be because it does mean you're going up again. So as you descend into something that feels yucky, there's this process of surrendering. And it feels horrible. Um, being sick is just not something I'm used to anymore. I didn't like it. And it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then it was really bad. And I thought, I think I'm going to bounce now. And sure enough, it started to get better. You can kind of feel that point. If you've like had someone um, be cruel to you, you can feel yourself sort of descending into the hurt of it. And then you, you can go through the whole grieving cycle. You go through, okay, now I'm a little angry. Now I'm a little sad. Now I'm a little scared. And then, then it's like, okay, I really, really feel crap now. Well, it's time to bounce. And whenever you hit that in any area, <coughs> here's how you do it. The acronym is SILO. And the S stands for bouncing back slowly. Because especially... Americans, I probably a lot of other cultures too, but Americans are like, get back up and get moving. Like it's a very bouncy culture, but you know what? It's actually pseudo bouncy because we don't bounce like rubber balls or even like puppies. We bounce, we have a longer time frame. So like a bounce is like ooh, squish at the bottom and then goes slowly up again. Uh, I always tell people when they move to a different part of the country uh, or a different part of the world, it's going to take you a year. You're going to go down for a year. You're going to hit bottom at about a year, and then you're going to bounce, and you're going to start to feel better. It's kind of it's more like you go down for about nine months, and then you start to slowly come up for three months, and after a year, you go, wait, wait, this isn't as bad as it was. So I had a friend, <coughs> excuse me, who was moving, and I told her this. And then she got to her new place and she's like, this is cool. This isn't, I'm not, I'm not descending into anything. It's fine. And she coped really well, but it's been about a year. And she recently texted me and she said, huh, the lawn that took me four hours to mow the first time I mowed it just took me one hour. She's like, I think I'm bouncing back. And I was very pleased with her. And I'm happy if you think you're bouncing back faster because that can be a soothing thought. But if you think you're going too slowly, think again. It's always slow. 
if you're supposed to, be, I, I really believe it's all because it's trying to create some kind of transmutation of our ego into like perfection and wisdom. And that doesn't happen fast. You, you hit bottom, you squish, and then you slowly go upward and just watch. Oh, look, look what's happening. So the I in silo stands for involuntarily. Don't, you can try to bounce. You can try all you want. Try to bounce. It's not going to work. Bouncing is something, it's a physics thing. When a ball is thrown to the floor, it doesn't decide to bounce. The physics of it make it bounce, right? So when you say, okay, I'm going to pull myself together. I'm going to get over this divorce. I'm going to get over this job loss or whatever it is. It's like a ball just lying on the, on the ground going, I'm going to leap. I will leap to the stars. No. The forces that propel you downward are also meant to propel you upward. If you surrender to the falling down and even to being on the bottom, like you may be at, at like rock bottom for a, a while. And it's about breath to breath at that point. It is not one day at a time. It's one breath at a time, as I often say. And if you just keep breathing, then the squish happens and the bounce begins and you rise up and it's something you get to watch. You cannot make it happen. So maybe don't try. Maybe uh, just like write in a journal, sit on the couch, pet the cat and go, hmm, I wonder if it's bouncing back yet and look at it. And then you get to the L in silo. L is for lovingly. So you're going to bounce back slowly. If you've lost anything, if you've hurt yourself, you're going to bounce back slowly. You're going to bounce back involuntarily. And you have to do it lovingly. That's the... Um, that's the way you keep it from being very traumatic. You say to yourself at every stage, oh, I'm still at rock bottom. That's okay. That's okay. I've been reading so much stuff about anxiety, and we've also been reading some parenting books. Um, there's a woman named Becky, Dr. Becky Kennedy, who was on Glennon Doyle's podcast about parenting, and I'm reading her book, and it's amazing. And she talks about how we always try to do things right, but in her value system, she says resilience is better than happiness and repair is better than perfection. If you sit down with love and talk about what's gone wrong, okay, I'm crashing, hit bottom. Oh, I was really, I was a mess. I have been a mess. Um, and I think I'm involuntarily getting better, but maybe you're still on the downfall. It's, it's involuntary both ways, right? So the loving part is not saying that it's not happening. It's not trying to pull yourself together prematurely and, and fix it for other people. It's just, it literally takes two things, witnessing and empathy. You just say, oh, wow, yes, you are, I am definitely at a low ebb. I think I've hit bottom. I think I'm going to bounce. But I just think that, I've done quite well to keep breathing during this period. And you can talk to yourself in the second person. You have done very well considering you have let go more easily than you did before. You, because of that, you didn't suffer quite as much. You found something to interest you and your kids at the same time. So you were able to like rest together. You are doing a very good job. And by the way, you get to feel like crap. You get to feel exactly as crappy as you do. Tell me everything. That is, I have felt that way. And anybody who had been through the same thing 
is going to feel the same way. I've noticed that people who were healthy and then get COVID and were really sick and now they're on the other side of it, they're like, whoa, sick is not fun. They're very respectful. And the fact that they can, when I talk to them, people like that, I'm like, oh, you get me. You have felt really crap in your life. You get me. And um, that's the love part of the silo, just witnessing and empathy. And you get to feel whatever you're feeling. And then the final thing is O for opportunistically. So this is what happens. Like I had my, some of you may remember, I once had my foot operated on. Like, I don't remember how long ago, like a year and a half now. I had no idea how, how tricky it is to get over hand or foot surgery. Now I know. Um, and the doctor said, yeah, eight weeks you'll be recovering. And some wonderful, I, I can't remember who, but it was a wonderful, wonderful person from the gathering room who wrote to me and said, that is a hilarious joke your doctor has told you about the eight weeks to get better. She's like, in 10 months, you will have something vaguely resembling a foot on the end of your leg. In a year, if you're lucky, you'll be able to like bounce around on it a little bit. Um, and she was right, completely right. Um, so I let it happen slowly. It was a bit of a shock at eight weeks when I realized I was nowhere close to healed. Um, I did it in, involuntarily just left it alone and let it heal. I did it lovingly. I'm old enough to know how to be loving to myself even when I can't walk. And everybody around me was very loving to me. And then a thing happened. My shoulder started hurting. And my doctor said, maybe you could get some physical therapy because I was having a physical. And I was like, oh, no, I'm just falling apart because I'm falling apart. And my doctor was like, no, I'm going to send you to a physical therapist to get that shoulder back. I was like, okay. So I went to this physical therapist in New Hope, Pennsylvania, who is a wizard. And she put my shoulder right. And she did it in a way that worked me really hard to the point where I was panting and almost vomiting. But it didn't hurt. And then she said, what else hurts? Well, every part of me has been hurting forever. So I was like, well, damn, if you can do that to my foot or to my shoulder, try my foot, try my knee, try the muscles that have fallen into disuse because of my limping. And it was like, I saw in the first session that this was a person, I felt you can feel an emotional, spiritual, I believe, connection when you, this is something that's meant to help me bounce higher. This is something being sent to help. I like this. Then you need to make an opportunistic grab for it. You don't just say, oh, I hope that happens again. You say, I, I said to this physical therapist, look, even after I'm not technically injured, would you just train me? Um, because my body is not easy to work with. And she's incredible. And I go to her on a weekly basis and uh, feel like she's torturing me. And I scream and vomit. Not really. <laughs> but almost. And I'm getting much, much stronger. If that, if I'd met this woman six months earlier, it wouldn't have been time. Just when I met her, look opportunistically for the things that are trying to help you bounce back higher, become better than you thought you could be. And the weird thing is you can actually bounce higher after a this is how the physics breaks down because a ball, when it bounces repeatedly, bounces less up every time, lower. But when we do this with our internal personal development, we bounce higher every time. We end up in places that are better. Um, it's very strange to be feeling my body getting markedly stronger as I get older. 
It's very cool. So do those four things, you guys. Um, if you're if you're feeling like you're falling, you know, be uh, let it be slow, let it be involuntary, let it be loving, and let it be op opportunistic. Yay! So let's go to the questions for the day. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. So Dr. Donna says, how do you handle those who surround you that say get back up again now or they deny you're on rock bottom? This is what you do. You say, you look at them and you say, I hear you. I hear you. Because what they need is witnessing and empathy. And you, oh, I hear you. And then they go away and you think, not in a million years. You don't try to convince them. If you're already so low you're bouncing, you don't have the energy to convince anyone. Just allow it to happen and they think what they think. Let, uh, as Lao Tzu says, care about other people's opinions and you become their prisoner. So just say, thank you. Thank you so much. I hear you. I hear your concern. I hear your recommendation. Thank you. And then just say in your head, that's not right. That's just not true. Done. That's love to the self. And says, is it possible to never get out of a low? Yes, I have seen this happen in clients. And the reason is that they were fighting so hard not to go low. They were fighting the whole concept of bouncing. They wanted their whole lives to be one great surge of joy. This is why I loved it when Becky Kennedy says, um, resiliency is better than happiness. Because we have a sort of happiness worshiping culture. And she talks about how some kids are raised by parents who just keep saying, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. We are not an organism that can always be happy. So if you can, instead of saying, I want to be always happy, say, I want to bounce higher every time. Every time I break and hit bottom, I'm going to be so uh, accepting of the process that I'm going to come back higher and stronger. If you fight the fall, you never get up because you're, you're locked in the fight now. But nature will not put you into that fight. Nature puts you down and puts you up. You know, you fall and you bounce. But your mind, your ego will fight nature and say, I must have it different. This is not an acceptable way for the, wor the world to work. And because of the fight against reality, you can suffer your entire life. And I've seen many people do it. Yeah. But nobody who comes to the gathering room, we're all here together. It's great. Okay, Amy says, how do you energetically make space for a beloved who's mid-bounce in healthy ways? First of all, you realize that having a beloved who's going through something is also you going through something. You don't say that your situation is worse than theirs, but you're still going through something. If your child is in the hospital, you're going through something. If your partner got fired, you're going through something. So how do you be present for them? You really, really, really take time to silo yourself. 
to deal with it. So if something bad befalls your whole family or your whole state, hi, Florida, we love you, um, you need to silo off for a short time as often as possible and just breathe through it and say, this is happening. I'm on the down bounce because something's happening to another person. I got to let this happen slowly. It's involuntary, so I'm not going to try to control it. I'm going to be as loving to myself as I possibly can, and I'm going to look for opportunities to find my own joy and look around the room. What here could bring me joy? Like be really opportunistic. Like they talk about opportunistic hunters, animals who are opportunistic hunters like raccoons who find a lot of opportunity opportunities in my bird feeders. They will go anywhere. Trash, trees, they don't care. Opportunistic feeders. We are opportunistic um, consumers of spiritual buoyancy. Anything that can bounce you up, you grab that, you internalize it. And then when you're there with your loved one, remember that love is not changing someone's condition or needing them to be happy because resiliency is better than happiness and repair is better than never having been broken. So all you have to do is say to them, tell me everything. How, how does it feel? Oh, wow, I can imagine how that feels. Ugh, yeah. Yeah, that, you definitely deserve those feelings. Like when a child has a tantrum and you wave a clown in front of their face and say, you be happy, be happy, everything's great, everybody loves you. The kid is in there going, okay, number one, I'll be afraid of clowns for the rest of my life. And number two, it's not okay to feel what I'm feeling. Like everybody's pretending it's not happening. They're jumping around like clown faces themselves and it's giving me the creeps. So don't try to cheer your people up. Sit with them and say, you get to feel exactly as crappy as you feel because you're on a slow bounce. You're going down. And the one thing I know from my own experience is that if you surrender to it, you will involuntarily reach a point where you're hit, you hit bottom and then you'll say to yourself one day, oh my gosh, I'm feeling better. It only takes me a quarter of the time it used to take me to mow the lawn. Hmm. It'll happen. Um, Linda Gribko regarding foot surgery. Hi, Linda. Linda was the one who told you. She said eight weeks and you might maybe sort of glance at your shoe and think it might be nice to one day wear it again. No, I, eight weeks, I think, is when I started throwing, hurling my shoes out a second story window going, don't hurt me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Linda is probably a lot tougher than I am. I got a slow bounce on me. That's what I am. I was never a sprinter. I was always a distance runner because I am slow, but I never stop until I have foot surgery. And then I stopped for a long time. So thanks, Linda. Sue says, how can you encourage a tween to believe in their ability to bounce, to know it will happen as they haven't been broken and bounced as much as we have as adults? Yes, this is why adolescence is so crappy because we've never been through it before. I mean, the first time you fall in love and then get your heart broken, it's like someone turned the sun off. Like it is just, this is, this is horrifying that this can happen in the world. If your parents split up, if, you're, if your grandma dies, I mean, these poor kids, they've just come fresh and unbroken into the world and then the world hits them. So the thing to do, I think then, is you really have to silo yourself. That's the other thing about the word silo, because if we do it for ourselves in a sort of separate space, then we can go integrate with other people who are going through it. And our calm about the situation is what helps them. Not our 
cooing, not our giving them things, not our, I'm so sad. No, no, our calm is what helps people, especially when they're young, get through it. Um, our two-year-old sometimes goes into something that they now call dysregulation. Wish I'd had that word growing up because I was dysregulated almost my whole childhood. And well, until I was about 40. Um, but sometimes they're just overwhelmed. And so they just burst into tears. And it's a big mistake, I have learned, to anxiously try to make them happy. Sorry, older kids. That's what I did with you. Um, but now we've got this two-year-old that we can just hold and say, and she, she has the most genius thing she says. Every time something is terribly upsetting to her, she finds out that there is in the world something like uh, tripping on a rock and bashing your face or whatever. She always, the first thing she says is, big hug, big hug. She accidentally got some chili pepper in her mouth. Big hug, big hug. She knows instinctively that humans need to be held held tightly and steadily to go through the experience of something. So we couldn't take the burn off her tongue, couldn't make the bump on her head go down any faster, but we could hold on and give her a big hug while she got over it. And the miracle is that we get over things. That's what you know, we know now, because we're all grown up, that maybe still a teenager or a teenager or even a young adult doesn't quite know yet, that you bounce back from almost anything. And that the bouncing, the, the motion of bouncing itself is the feeling of being human. And once you've learned to enjoy the bounce, well, enjoy is a very strong word. Once you've learned to watch the bounce with a kind of awe and curiosity, then you still get your heart broken, but part of you is watching it and going, oh yeah, I've been to hell and back so many times that frankly, now you kind of bore me. And you sit there with your kid or with your grandchild or whoever and go, I know what it's like. Oh yeah, that is bad. No, don't let them tell you a 12 year old crush or being bashed on by your friends is not bad. It's bad. It's really bad. You get to feel as bad as you want and I'm right here. It'll end, but it's bad. People love that. When I started writing for Oprah Magazine, that was, my, that was my standard trick. Nobody ever picked up on it. Instead of saying, like another self-help author might, don't worry, you'll feel better. I'd say, yeah, you're going to feel like crap, but it will end. You're going to feel, this is horrible. No, no getting around it. And there are things to be gained from it. So it's that this is horrible and you get to feel that way. Is like, it's the key. It's the key to the bounce. Rose says, what are some key signs you're bouncing back to look out for? Mm. Such a good point. Um, for those of you who are Wayfinder coaches or in training or who have a coach, we like to look for these signs that a new identity is forming. And typically three things happen. You change your hairstyle. You change the style of clothing you wear. And you move your furniture or buy new furniture even. And it's very interesting because you can't, I'm sure I've talked about this before, you can't change things around internally without shifting them around externally and vice versa. We kind of have, our, our psyches extend beyond our bodies. And um, when we start to present differently, I was talking to a friend the other day and she said, um, she had these clothes that had been, she'd been, had been packed away in mothballs and she went to give them all to Goodwill 
And she was throwing them away because she thought, oh, that's, they're too fancy. I don't, I don't want to be a fancy person. I want to be a plain homespun person who's just one of the people. And she said, you know, I looked at, I was going to throw these clothes away. And I was like, I kind of look, I like that. That's kind of pretty. And so she started trying on her own clothes. And for the first time, as a person who had bounced back from a, from, from bottom, she was like, I actually like this kind of clothes now. So right there in her own life, she'd shifted identities once, twice, and three times. And it, it showed up in the way she selected what she put on her body. So that's, those are really key things. And then the other thing is a sense, and this is what I mean by involuntarily, you get up one day and you know that, for example, with my foot surgery, it's not going to hurt to go down the stairs. You just know. The body knows so deeply. And the psyche knows in that same physiological, um, evolutionary way what it's capable of doing. And one day you will just know you can do a little bit more than you could the day before. And then the next day it'll go away, but then it'll come back. And there are these mini bounces as you're getting out of a big bounce. And all of those just opportunistically say, oh, it's a good moment. I'm going to really enjoy this. Yesterday, Ro, we've all been sick. Um, was She hadn't slept at all. The baby was sick and she was lying there and she was sitting in this chair and she said, oh. And I was like, oh my God, what's wrong? And she's like, no, I am just so grateful for this moment. I'm just in a chair and nobody's bothering me and I'm not in pain. This is wonderful. She opportunistically grabbed a very ordinary moment and really turned it into something sweet. So I would highly recommend that method. And finally, Ray says, do you think people have been misdiagnosed with depression based on their resistance to feeling sad or their family's resistance to their level of emotion? Yeah, I think often depression is the feeling that comes from fighting um, uh, uh, any kind of suffering. So Jung famously said, um, every mental illness, every disease is a substitute for legitimate suffering. So in the many years I spent in clinical depression, what I was really doing was fighting uh, things like the anger I felt at my family culture and religious culture, suppressing a lot of feelings of wanting to be free, just trying to stay in that social mode and ignoring the fact that it was wrong for me and I knew it at a deep level. So yeah, I'm not saying that's all depression is, is there are biochemical elements and everything, but I was depressed for like almost 30 years. And it was when I stopped fighting the reality of my own pain that I got better. And the pain was extreme and excruciating and I bounced. I went down, I siloed, it was slow, it was involuntary. It finally turned out to be loving. And from then on, I have opportunistically grabbed every single opportunity that it pre presents itself to bounce higher, bounce further, bounce with more fun and bounce with more company. We're all bouncing. We're all bouncers. We could get jobs as bouncers. It would be amazing. We're spiritual bouncers. Put that on your resume. So that is my spiel for today. I'm so glad to be back here with you. And um, I can't wait to see you again. Bouncy, bouncy, bouncy back to the gathering room. Bye.
It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.